All right, I got to ask, guys, what's going on? Why does there seem to be a freak-out panic factor now that Texas just added another five-star to the 2023 class? So, am I reading this situation right, Parker Thune? We got people freaking out about out there about things? Yeah, first off, Tyler, great to see your face yeah, again. Yeah, you too. It has been more than a minute since we were both in the same studio. Uh, secondly, yes, people are freaking out. I can't fathom why that is because it's been a four-commit month for Oklahoma. It's not as if things have gone dormant on the recruiting trail for OU. And, as I mentioned last hour and the hour before that, Texas out-recruiting Oklahoma in terms of rankings is nothing new. It is nothing new. And I'm glad you said that because I did research on that very exact topic uh, before I came on the air today. So now, I am counting this recruiting class, 2023. I used Rivals because Rivals goes back further than 24-7 sports. I'll so, forgive you for that. To, uh, yes, thank you. 2002 is the furthest back that Rivals goes. 2002 to 2023. That's 22 recruiting classes that we have to look at. Does anyone want to take a guess as to how many times in those 22 classes, again, I am counting this year, which Texas does have a higher-ranked class right now than OU. Anyone want to guess in those 22 classes how many times Texas had the better class than OU? I'm going to say 15, 16. You're, you're close. 14 times. Okay. 14 times in that stretch. Uh, Texas had the better class eight times. OU had the uh, better class. Now, going all the way back to 2002, same time frame, does anyone want to guess what the win-loss record is between <laughs> OU and Texas? Oh, this should be fun. Anyone? How about 14-7 to in the last 21 matchups that I counted? All right? So why the panic now? Why the freak out now? Guys, they just went 5-7 and seven last year. We see this every single year. This is nothing new. Yes, Texas will have a better recruiting class than OU this year. There's a very good chance of that. But guess what? It's happened 14 times in the past 22 years, and it's mattered not anything at all when it comes to the two teams playing in Dallas. And if, you, if that's not a good enough stat for you that OU's won 14 out of the last 21, then go look at conference championships, Heisman trophies. My God, any data that's out there that you can use to gauge who's better between two programs, OU has owned that. It's fine, guys. Texas will get players. They always have. It's all good. Calm down. We had a listener on the text line earlier send in a brilliant text. Perfect analogy for the situation. They said, look, to think that recruiting rankings will automatically translate into success on the field and superiority for Texas over Oklahoma is like thinking that I can take my driving range game to the golf course. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and that's why I was a little bit confused. And I'm not saying that it's everyone or even the majority of the fan base out there, but there seems to be some people freaking out like, all right, when can we press the panic button on Brent Venables and recruiting? Texas is getting another five-star player. I thought that this was a point of pride with this fan base. I thought that we've always stuck our chest out and said, yeah, well... Owned uh, Texas the past 50 years, but, God, 40 of those years they've had the higher recruiting class. So why not? Like, this has been a point of pride for OU fans. I think I a know. lot of these fans still have some PTSD from their toxic relationship with Muleshoe, and they probably unconsciously have some of the expectations built in and seared into their, pre into their brains that were built up over the course of Muleshoe's tenure. Look, 
Venables recruits differently than Muleshoe. This is not a secret. I don't know why this freakout is happening. I have guesses as to why it's happening. But at the end of the day, it's not justified at all No, in June. No, and I heard you and Steely asking the question earlier. When was the last time that Texas entered into the OU Texas game undefeated? Mind you, that's not a very big ask. All, all no, you're asking really. is to go 5-0, and and mostly three to four of your opponents are going to be trash before you play OU. It's not a huge ask Win to be undefeated. One, one conference game. 2011. It's been wow. over a decade since Texas wow. rolled into that game undefeated. And guess what? During that time frame, Texas has had some really good recruiting class, some of the best in the country. But that hasn't stopped them from being mediocre or being a bad football team. Most of those years, forget one loss, they got two or three losses rolling into that thing. So I don't, I, I'm a little disappointed that we have to have this talk today, okay? But everyone calm down. Texas will have good classes, and it's not going to amount to jack squat. They were 5-7 and seven last year. It's so, all good, man. So, somebody sent in a text earlier and said, if Texas beats Alabama in yeah, September, okay. it's over. Yeah. Oh, you stuck. As if there's an if at all to uh, that. There, there is no if. Alabama literally wins zero chance. Literally zero chance. The only question of that game is, does Alabama cover the probably 14-and-a-half spread that's going to follow them to Austin? That's the only question about that game. Unbelievable. The fact that people are throwing that out there as a possibility. Texas, of all programs, fresh off a 5-7 and seven campaign, which featured a season-defining, program-defining loss to Kansas at home. Yeah, I mean, that's just It's going to turn around and beat Alabama. It doesn't happen. You just don't go from a year like that, 5-7, and seven, maybe the worst year in school history losing to Kansas, to turning around in less than a calendar year and beating Alabama and having a championship-level season. It does not happen in college football, especially at the University of Texas. The best... The best example, really the only example of anything that we're talking about for Texas this year, the only example that I can think of was 2008 for Alabama. 2007, Nick Saban's first year, they lost to Louisiana Monroe at home. They went 6 and I think 7 and 6, six that and year six, maybe. Yeah. Um they went 6 and 6 regular season. I can't remember if they won the bowl game or not. But that was Nick Saban, the greatest head coach of all time, all right? So, let's not act like Texas is on the verge of just turning it around after one class. But hey, you can't ignore uh, what they've been able to do in the past week, Parker. And um, I, I think at this point, like, getting Arch Manning is one thing, but the best thing for Texas is not getting Arch Manning, but what is coming along with Arch Manning. I think that that's really if, 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 if Texas is going to benefit off this, I think it's going to be the players that come because of Arch, maybe not even necessarily because of him. I can't help but have the doomsday thought, what if worst comes to worst, what if – Bryce Young tears an ACL. Steve Sarkeesian instructs his offensive lineman to kneecap Will Anderson and Dallas Turner. And Texas somehow does beat Alabama in September. We might just I, sit I'd here. I'd still take Alabama by a field goal under that <laughs> scenario, by the way. We might just sit here in total silence the Monday thereafter on this show. But, uh, no, look, any way you slice it, Texas has a lot of momentum right now. On the recruiting trail. They just picked up another commitment moments ago from Billy Walton, three-star edge rusher out of South Oak Cliff. Well, he can't be good if Oklahoma he's a three-star. Yeah, exactly. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> Texas is three-star you all of a sudden. So, it, look, none of the rhetoric makes any sense right now from these OU fans that want to claim that the sky is falling. If three-stars suck, well, then Texas must really suck 
And if Brent Venables and Todd Bates and DeMarco Murray and the rest of the staff can't evaluate, then I don't know what the hope is for Oklahoma going forward. Yeah, Texas is going to roll them. They're going to steamroll them for the next decade. But if you have any amount of faith, if you have an iota of faith in what Venables and this staff are doing at the University of Oklahoma, and you have an iota of faith that the same recruiting philosophy that served Venables so well at Clemson is going to translate to the University of Oklahoma, you're not worried right now. Exactly. Oklahoma Johnny says you can put an earring in a pig's ear, but it's still a pig. Texas sucks. I've never seen a pig with an earring before, but I feel like if I go home to the Grady County Fair uh, sometime next fall that I may be able to see something like that. Texas can have the quarterbacks as long as we get top O-line and D-line. Games are won on the line of scrimmage. That is true. Texas has, uh, well, they got like four offensive line commits in this class, and they had four signees in the previous class, so they're making an attempt to have an offensive line, but much like everything else with that program, I'll, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Here. Yeah, I can I can still very vividly and fondly remember a time where Sam Ellinger got face-planted nine times back in that 2019 contest by Oklahoma's defensive line. Uh, Texas has appeared in one conference title game since 2009. Oklahoma has not appeared in the conference title game once since 2009, which is last year. Peyton says uh, draft picks. That's another uh, thing that OU has over Texas, and they aren't going to be undefeated this year either. I agree with that. Uh, 580, forgive me for not freaking out about recruiting, but development matters more over stars. Have any of these kids signed on the line yet? I'm pretty sure it's only June, and like Tyler said, check the records, people. Look, that's why I'm not going to get nervous or afraid if Texas or Texas A&M has a great recruiting hall because there's really never been a reason to be afraid of Texas or Texas A&M. I'm sorry. They've been underwhelming programs throughout the mass majority of their history, and why are we just so shocked that Texas is sitting with the top three recruiting class? It, it's Again, Texas has out-recruited OU 14 out of the past 22 years, and OU's won 14 out of the past 21 matchups. Clearly, I look, and I'm not saying that stars don't matter or recruiting doesn't matter. I, recruiting does matter. But development matters more, and there's been a massive, massive, massive gap when it comes to development between OU and Texas. And I, and I feel the new coach that's here, the new staff that's here, I feel pretty good about the way that he develops players compared to the previous staff. You mind doing some quick research while we're in the break? Because I would love to know what Texas's record versus Kansas State is over the last decade. Because those are two programs that operate on completely different planes. Right? Yeah. Kansas State will take pretty much anybody that they evaluate and see as a fit and trust that their coaching staff is going to be able to develop those players uh, to the point where they're going to have a competitive football program year in and year out. Texas is just like, okay, well, stars, 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 stars. So in 2020, Texas won in Manhattan, and that was the first time since 2002 that Texas had won in the Little Apple. Now, I understand the dynamics of the conference before where you'd only go to a place um, every four years, but then clearly that flipped with the new Big 12 every two years. Texas had lost its previous like four or five matchups at Kansas State, so yeah, man, it's not just OU. Kansas State, who has been out-recruited by Texas 22 out of the past 22 years, probably has a winning record against UT in the past decade. 
So, yeah, I, I mean, I just, I'm not going to play scare tactics with you here on ta- Texas having a great class because it, that should never work. They are what they are as a program, and I don't think Sark's the guy that's going to turn that around. No, the, no one and nothing is going to turn around the University of Texas's football program until they decide to part ways with the fabled zero culture approach, which is exactly uh, that is the model that they've adopted. We don't give a crap about culture. We're just going to bring in talent and hope it gels. If they gave a crap about culture, Tyler, they would not have taken a Jai Hall via the transfer portal. And I I hate to make an example out of one guy, and I don't want to say, oh, this, you know, I don't want to point to one instance and say, uh, and paint with too broad a brush based on that one instance, but... Kind of tells you all you need to know about the University of Texas. If the kid can play, and a Jai Hall can, to his credit, I go, okay, bring him in. Bring him in. Bring yeah. him in. You guys are, I mean, lighting it up on the Air Comfort Solutions text line right now. And, and we'll get to as many of these as we can throughout the next hour. But I do want to re- read one before we go to a break here. You guys are making extreme homerism takes when it comes to Texas. I think things have a chance to dramatically change in Austin. Hang on. Based hang on. on what? Hang on, Tyler. Is that text from today, June 28th, 2022, or June 28th, 2021, <laughs> exactly. or June 28th, 2020? Like, we can go back 12 years. What, what, like, what evidence do you have to think things are going to dramatically change in Austin? Well, they have a great recruiting class. We'll see my previous point. Those weren't homerism takes. I went back and looked at the recruiting classes. That's not my opinion. It is a fact, according to rivals that Texas had a better class 14 out of the past 22 years, and it is a fact that Oklahoma has beaten Texas on the field 14 of the past 21 years. Those are not homerism takes. I do hope Texas fails as a football program, and if you want to call me a homer for that, feel free. I'll give you an open lane to it. But I don't think it's homerism at all to think that Texas is going to continue to be an average football program. We have over a decade – well, we have more than a decade, but we're still – we're still in the decade of suck for UT. Another text from the text line. Did everyone freak out after Charlie Strong's third-ranked class or either of Herman's two third-ranked classes? Yeah, <laughs> exactly right. It's This is a uh, circle of life. Charlie Strong lost to Kansas. Uh, Tom Herman lost twice to uh, Maryland. It Tom, is a vicious cycle. Tom, Tom Herman was at Texas and played a home-and-home against Maryland, and he went 0-2 against the Terps. Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and stick with my opinion here that Texas is going to continue to suck. 405-651-3439, Air Comfort Solutions text line. More to come next. Locked in right here on The Ref. We're the Homeless Sooner fans. Locked in with McComas and Thune. Live on The Ref. We are the Homeless Sooner fans. All the text on the Air Coverage Solutions text line right now, 405-651-3439. A lot of recruiting to get to today. We'll do that. We'll get to your text here. Culture is everything. OU's fan base needs to get over the overall recruiting rankings and player stars. We don't need prima donnas to be good. Trust the process. See, I I do think that um, I don't think you have to be the number one overall class or have seven five stars in a class to win a title, but... You, you do need star power in a recruiting class. Sure. Just like a loyal listener, Sean, says, I don't think OU can load up on two stars from Godibo, Oklahoma, and hope to win a national championship. So do you need the number one overall recruiting class every single year? No. And, in fact, Clemson had far from that when they won their two titles out there with, uh, with Brent Venables. But you're going to need some five stars at least sprinkled in there. 
Text line as well. <laughs> that same listener that says you guys are making extreme homerism takes. Follow up your point by asking, is Herman still the coach? No, the coach now is the guy that went 5-7 and seven last year and got fired at USC. So we got, we, we got two options here. Either, either this is Sark's burner or it's Doug from Norman's burner. <laughs> like, seriously, I think it's Sark's. Seriously, how many times are people going to drink the Kool-Aid on Texas? I'll admit it. I drank it last year, Tyler. I, 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 I didn't go full Jonestown, but, like, I was sipping on the Kool-Aid with that Texas team last year, and I was touting Texas before the season as a program that could play for a Big 12 championship. This year, I'm done. I'm done. I am done sipping the off-season Kool-Aid. I've been done for about seven, eight years now. Okay, well, you see, you're a smarter man than me. I, I, it's um, just one of those things. I, I don't I don't believe it. Like, could, like kids that have never played it down are all of a sudden going to change what's really wrong with that program. It's just not, not going to happen. I'm not buying it here. Um, Texas will continue to be the average program they've been. And guess what? An SEC move is coming. That's going to work out real well for them. By the way, monumental day for me. Um I was followed on Twitter by Toby Rowland. What? Yes. I, so I'd been blacklisted since I think February because, as I recall, I tweeted something questioning the shot selection for OU basketball towards the end of a game against Texas that they ended up losing in overtime. And I was informed upon walking into the office the following day uh, by TJ Perry that I had received the unfollow from Toby Rowland. So – uh, four months later, it appears that I am back in T Rose Good Grace. What do you think you at did least on social media? To, what do you think you did to to deserve it? I, I don't know. I never got a straight answer on oh, it. Interesting. And I still don't have the follow back, and I'm perfectly. Fine. Oh wow, really? Yeah, I'm perfectly. I, it's the unfollow has happened more than more than once. So actually, I got unfollowed the last time because you sent out the controversial tweet. I didn't even ever say anything during that game, and he still hit the unfollow, which was like, eh, okay, that's fine. Wait, what was the? That was the controversial tweet. Well, your controversial oh, okay, okay. tweet led to he unfollowed me, I believe, at the same time as well. Oh allegedly. wow! Okay, so yeah. Ah. Well, congratulations, you are back. Uh, I'll give you two weeks before you uh, get the unfollow <laughs> again. Calm down, Sooner Nation. Wait until October 9th when Texas is three and three, and we're six and zero. Recruiting will look very different. Uh, the Jonestown people drank Flavor Aid. This of course, somebody fact-checked me on that. Nobody is saying we need to get to the top class, but we won't win with a bunch of three-star players. We have to start getting four-star guys with a five-star guy here and there. Well, and look, th- there is some truth to that. You have to have some star power, and I'm perfectly willing to acknowledge that. But you take a look at the three-star guys that Oklahoma has gotten in this class thus far. First off, a lot of them are going to ascend to four-star status. You look at a kid like Samuel Masigo, who is committing on Thursday to either OU or Florida, and I tend to favor Oklahoma at this time. That's a guy that was right there in the throes of middle-range three-star territory a few months ago. He just picked up his four-star on 24-7 sports a couple days ago. So that's a guy that was a strong eval by Brent Venables and this staff to the point where he has risen into blue-chip territory. I So I want to go back, and I mentioned this on air last week. But I want to circle back around to it. Of Oklahoma's eight commits right now, the lowest ranked per the 24-7 sports composite is Cade McIntyre, the three-star athlete out of Fremont, Nebraska. I think he's like number 816 in the nation. I was talking to a source, a completely neutral source, while I was up in Omaha last week. And this source has some, uh, has some pull 
on the Nebraska high school football scene. Uh, very well known in the region, uh, very authoritative, and generally has a pretty good handle on talent when he sees it. And, you know, he's a guy that has some experience playing the game, coaching the game, and so his word is generally as good as gold. And we were not talking about Cade McIntyre. That is not where the conversation originated. But as we got deeper and deeper, uh, he brought up Cade McIntyre and told me, man, oh, you got an absolute steal in that kid. I have no idea how he is as under-recruited as he is. He said, that kid is as mean as a snake. Yeah, He is a mean, mean football player. And are there guys that are higher ranked than him? Absolutely. And is he going to have to compete once he gets to a college campus? Sure. But you put him in a competitive environment, he is more than capable of beating somebody that ostensibly is more physically gifted or more highly regarded than him. He is going to be a monster at the University of Oklahoma. Um, w- one more rebuttal back to uh, what the, the texter from uh, last segment was saying, saying, I hope you're right, but year two under a new staff has a chance to be different. But there's been a lot of year twos in Texas football history. I, I say it all the time. How many successful head coaches has Texas had in its program history? They've had two, right? DKR, um, he, he won multiple national championships. Texas, their heyday was the late 60s and the early 70s. Uh, no doubt they were dominant then. But outside that, like... Mac is the guy that you have to say number two, won the 05 title, played for the 09 title. But at the same time, Mac spent most of his career getting his ass kicked by Bob Stoops. I'm, I'm just saying, right? <laughs> he had a losing record against Bob Stoops, and Bob owned him more times than not. So that's all Texas has to show for it. A program that calls itself a blue blood and one of the best in school history, name me someone outside of Daryl Royal and someone outside of Mac Brown that won big consistently at Texas. You're not going to find that. So I'm not just using the past 10 years as a reason why I don't think it's going to change at Texas. I'm using like the past 80 years as to why I don't think it's going to change at Texas because there's not a whole, there's not a long run of success like most people nationally think. Another great point on the text line. Serious question. How many five-star quarterbacks are out there playing 2A football not named Manning? And that's kind of, that's my biggest thing with Arch is go prove something. Go show me something against elite or even above-average yeah. competition. Not at the Elite 11, which is what's starting today. They're checking in today, yeah, exactly. I think. Not going to the Elite 11. Didn't compete at the Manning Passing Academy due to a quote-unquote minor wrist injury has never done elite camps, has barely touched the seven-on-seven circuit, and he plays 2A high school football in Louisiana. I'm not saying he's a bad football player. I'm not saying he's going to be a generational bust at the collegiate level. What I am saying is, first off, I understand the philosophy from the people in his camp. There's nowhere to go but down, so why compete? But... (laughs) I'm struggling... I'm really struggling. I can, I can tell. I, I was just, waiting for something big to happen. I, I just, there. how on earth are you going to go four years of high school ball without ever sniffing elite competition and expect people to believe outside of your last name that you're actually the consensus number one high school football player in the nation? It's never made sense to me. And in my eyes, if his last name weren't Manning, I I don't even know whether he's a blue chip 
to be honest, because I think people would be intrigued with the physical tools, but I think the knock on him, if his last name weren't Manning, would be okay. Yeah. He has never shown us anything against elite competition. And that's why I, I think 24-7 does a great job. I mean, Parker, you work for him. But I do think it's a little – and I don't care one way or the other who the number one overall player is in this year's class. That does not affect me one bit. I don't really care one way or the other if Arch Manning's a five-star. Though it does help fuel content, right, that he uh, commits to Texas as a five-star number one overall player. It does. But the fact that there's some 24-7 guys out there saying, yeah, it doesn't really matter if Malachi Nelson has a big Elite 11 camp or Jackson Arnold or Nico or anyone else, we still think that we're going to keep Arch Manning as the number one. Like, I, 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 you got to at least see some of these guys at the Elite 11 and be willing to change your ranking after. But there's some of those guys saying, no, Arch is the number one quarterback regardless of what happens at the Elite 11. Yeah, he's just, never com- com- uh, competed anything remotely close to this. Yeah, I'm just saying, if there, if there was any other quarterback playing two a high school football in the state of Louisiana who never played seven on seven, never went to elite camps, never put himself in a position where he was going up against even above average talent in a select type of environment from across the country. Recruiting services, I promise you, would look at the kid and say, okay, 6'4, 215, good arm, love the tools. But why is he so scared? to go prove himself against the best of the best. We can't make a judgment on him until we see him play athletes that are on his level. Yeah. Well, by the way, Elite 11, uh, I think they're checking in today, getting underway in California. Five-star OU commit Jackson Arnold uh, will be there. Malachi Nelson, USC commit, will be there. Zane Flores, Nebraska kid, Oklahoma State yeah, commit. Yeah, yeah, a little, little will be Nebraska love. there. Um, yeah, and again, this is something else that doesn't really necessarily affect me one bit. But, you know, in this class, Arch Manning gets all the love as the best quarterback for this class. Um, Malachi Nelson gets a ton of love for someone who's behind him. Uh, Nico, the Tennessee uh, commit, he, he gets like Jackson Arnold as a five star. I don't know if the word undervalued. I mean, if undervalued's fair to say, Parker, but he doesn't nearly get, you know, some of the credit and some of the headlines that his other fellow five star quarterbacks get. Yeah, why, think, why is that? So I think there are three guys at this Elite Eleven that have the chance to really make a jump in terms of the national perception of them as signal callers. You mentioned two of them in Jackson Arnold. And Zane Flores, the other one I throw in there, four-star Purdue commit out of Woodlawn, Louisiana, Ricky Collins. I think there are certain guys, and Jackson Arnold falls into that category where maybe they come onto the scene a little bit later. We have to remember Jackson Arnold did not become a full-time starter in high school until his junior year. So those guys that get the earlier exposure – uh, they get the earlier offers. Those are the guys that tend to cement themselves atop the recruiting rankings, and it becomes very difficult for them to lose their footing once they're ranked so highly. But a lot of I, I've talked to plenty of people about Jackson Arnold over the last couple of weeks, and there is a belief that with a strong performance at the Elite 11, and I'll add this, there's a belief he can win the Elite 11, but there's a belief that with a strong performance at the Elite 11, he could eventually vault a couple of those quarterbacks to the point where he becomes a top 10, top 15 national recruit. Similar to the rise we saw from Cade Klubnik last year. He closed the cycle as the number one quarterback, even though I think at this point, uh, last cycle, he was maybe 10th or 11th among QBs. So that's the type of ceiling 
that Jackson Arnold has, especially if he proves to be all that at the Elite 11. Uh, text line, do you see OU getting any five stars in 2023? If you're talking about the 2023 class, I mean, the guy that we're just talking about, Jackson Arnold, is 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 a five star. Yes. Um, will PJ Atabare get that fifth star? We'll see, maybe. Um, but do they have a chance of getting another five star outside of Jackson Arnold? I think there's a chance. It may depend more, Parker, on some of these four stars that they have committed or about to get a commit from getting that fifth star. Yeah, and look. OU is very much in the race for David Hicks. They are very much in the race for Anthony Hill. And they're in the race for Richard Young. Now, my philosophy from the get-go has been, hey, don't hold your breath on any of those three. Save yourself the emotional trauma if and when they commit elsewhere. Because I've never bought OU for any of those three as a lead contender or the lead contender. But I will say this. Oklahoma has gotten or will get an official visit from all three prospects, which suggests that they are quite serious about the Sooners. There's a chance OU ends up with one or even two of those guys. I'm I'm not saying it's a good chance. I don't think it's a good chance, but it's a chance nonetheless. You o- got a shot. OU will continue to beat Texas with average three to eight stars, and Texas has beat them two years in a row with one-star players. Being afraid of competition is not your typical five-star player. Uh, the last name don't make you. This kid needs to make his own way and not off his family name. Now, well, he can do that at Texas if he. I guess if he goes to Alabama and wins a title, it's you know whatever. If Arch Manning will make his own name if he goes to Texas and wins big and helps turn around that program. I know we're overdue for a break. Let me make one final point here before we close up shop on this segment. Uh, this is going to seem like a weird analogy at first, but to me, the anti-Arch Manning is Dylan Edwards, four-star running back out of Derby, Kansas, that ended up committing to Kansas State uh, over the last uh, week, or I think it was last yeah, Thursday. Was, yeah, yep, yep, yeah. Yep, yep. so uh, got to know Dylan Edwards really well over the course of his recruitment. Love the kid. He is 5'7", if that, skinny, maybe 160 pounds, very, very fast. But the question for him was always, okay, once he starts playing dudes that are legitimate college prospects, is he going to have the same impact that he had at Derby High School where he had something like 40-plus touchdowns and 3,000 all-purpose yards? For Dylan Edwards, there was a very strong case for him to just let his production on the field speak for itself, not even worry about going to any of those elite camps because there's a chance that a kid that small really gets his flaws exposed – against linebackers that are 6-2, against defensive backs that run a 4-4 or 4-5. There's a very compelling case for Dylan Edwards not to participate in any of that stuff. But at every turn of the corner, that was all he wanted. He wanted to go out there and compete against those dudes that people figured he couldn't compete against. And he wanted to show people that regardless of the fact that I'm 5'6", 5'7", and 160 pounds, I can play football at the Power 5 level and have success against these dudes that are more physically impressive than me. That is the diametric opposite of what we're seeing with Arch Manning. Yeah. Air Cover Solutions text line 405-651-3439. More texts, more recruiting on the other side. Keep it locked on the ref. Locked in with McComas and Thune live on the ref. We're the homeless Sooner fans. Tyler McComas, Parker Thune. OU will have a hat on the table tomorrow at noon for four-star offensive lineman Harris Sewell out of Odessa Permian. Go Mojo! 
Uh, Clemson, A&M, Texas, OU, and Alabama are the final five. Uh, he going to Clemson tomorrow? Is that where he's announcing? Yeah, it seems, seems that way. Certainly seems that way. OU is nothing more than a hat on the table for Harris Sewell. But, again, good news should be coming for the end of the week because uh, I think Oklahoma's in position to land a commitment from Samuel Masigo on Thursday. It's going to be OU or Florida for the four-star linebacker out of Crandall, Texas. So uh, I will be down there in Crandall for his announcement. So, uh, yeah, hopefully that one swings in Oklahoma's direction because he seems, at at least from the quotes he's given to media members, uh, everything that's been reported about his recruitment, he has been all OU for quite some time. Maybe something coming soon for P.J. Atabare? Yeah, maybe. Mm, Maybe. 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 Hmm, It's interesting. Monitor that situation. Uh, by the way, this hour is brought to you by Elite Roofing Systems. They're servicing all of Oklahoma's roofing needs. Let Craig Cox and the team at Elite Roofing put over three decades of experience to work for you. Oklahoma City, 405-361-3094. Tulsa, 918-984-5475 or EliteRoofing.com. Let me get to this one text, and it, it's ask, um, Parker, how much do you think the prospect rankings are still affected by COVID, meaning with recruiting sites losing scouts due to budget cuts and not being able to see everyone? I feel like we should still defer to the evaluation of BV staff over any of their recruiting sites. I think there's still something of a residual impact there. And I, you can look at a kid like Cade McIntyre as a perfect example. Right? Cade McIntyre is probably not a guy that goes under the radar as long as he has if COVID never happens. And so it's a kid like that that's going to be most affected. Small school kid from a small town that stands out but just doesn't have as much of an opportunity to gain exposure because you don't have people out traveling the region uh, looking for talent. So, yes, there's still something of a residual impact. That said, I do think it's pretty moot in the grand scheme of things, and it's not a significant factor anymore. I think we're getting to the point where we're just about putting COVID in the rearview mirror in every capacity. Text line says, where does OU sit with Edric Hall? Doesn't like they sit anywhere with Edric Hall, correct? Or Edric Hill, sorry. Yeah, so it. he took a visit to Alabama this last weekend, and that offer to Alabama is committable. And for the longest time, it seemed that Oklahoma was maybe the one school that could convince Edric Hill not to venture out of the Midwest. But, long story short, they waited too long to offer him. Dragged their feet a little too Did they actually? Because he was in town for, was it? Was it Champion Barbecue Weekend? With, or yeah, so he was, he was camping at the Champion right, Barbecue Right, yeah, he was Champion Barbecue, and he didn't have an offer at that point. Did he get an offer following that weekend? He got an offer two weeks thereafter. So I think it was Monday the 13th of June that he got his OU offer. But by that time, he's already in the midst of taking his official visits. He was fresh off a trip to LSU. He had USC and Alabama on the horizon. Look, it's really hard for anybody to say no to Nick Saban if you have a committable offer. If Oklahoma can get Cole Adams, that's a huge win. If they can get Edric Hill, that's a huge win as well. I think they have a much better chance of getting Cole Adams than they have of getting Edric Hill at this point in time. Kind of seems more and more like he's going to be Bama-bound in the end. I did see a uh, new crystal ball yesterday, at least a – not not from a player that hasn't had one already, but it was for four-star athlete Jacoby Johnson out of Mustang, Oklahoma, and that crystal ball was to OU. Now, we've felt that, I mean, out of every elite in-state prospect, 
you felt the best about Jacoby Johnson landing at OU. It was just interesting that like one rolled in for him on Sunday or or, or Monday. But I, I guess the feeling there is still still pretty strong. Oh yeah, always has been. It's a it's a matter of if, not when, in my eyes. Jacoby Johnson's going to be a sooner. Yeah, I would uh, I would agree with that. You also have the number two running back in the country, Cedric Baxter, announcing soon. That's A and M. That's Miami. That's Florida. That's Texas. Uh, you got to read here. Is Texas about to get another elite player? People aren't going to like to hear it, but it seems that way. Yeah, seems that way. Tyler Cedric Baxter appears to be all UT heading into that decision. And of course, you got Derek LeBlanc, uh, four-star player, July twenty-eighth, so a week from the day. OU, Penn State, and Florida, and um, a lot could be decided here potentially in this final month with Derek LeBlanc. We'll see. Don't take anyone's word for it with Derek LeBlanc. Believe nothing. That's and have no expectations heading into that day, heading into when he makes his announcement, because if I have said it once, I have said it a thousand times at this point, nobody is going to be 100% sure where Derek LeBlanc is going until the second he picks up the hat. One more uh, one more person wanting us to comment on by Joe, but says we lost him, didn't we? Yes. I, I don't know if I quantify that one as a loss. Is he a kid you would have liked to have, especially because of proximity? Sure. But he never took an official visit, and he's not originally from Oklahoma. And I, I know we say that every single time when we talk about By Joe, but it bears repeating, he's not from Oklahoma. The draw to OU is not as strong for him as it is for a lot of guys in the region that actually grew up in the state, i.e. Jacoby Johnson. So, no, I don't think OU ends up with By Joe. 405-651-3439. One final time on Locked In to get your questions in on the Air Comfort Solutions text line. We'll close it up next. Keep it locked in the ref. Final segment, Locked In with McComas and Thune. Live on the ref, we're the Homeless Sooner fans. Tyler McComas, Parker Thune. College football's most explosive players in 2022 ranked. That's, what I'm, uh, that's the headline that I'm looking at right now. No Sooners in the top eight. In fact, you have... Xavier Worthy, wide receiver at Texas, number two. Deuce Vaughn, running back at Kansas State, number three. And you've got uh, Jordan Addison, transfer portal edition for USC at number four. Now, all right, no centers in the top eight. Okay, who is going to be the explosive offensive weapon this year for OU? I feel it's hard not to say Marvin Mims. That feels like the obvious answer. If you're looking for an answer that's off the beaten path a little bit, well, it's really not off the beaten path. Javante Barnes. I'd, I'd, I'd throw out Javante Barnes. Yes. But, man, Marvin Mims seems like he is in for a huge year in Jeff Levy's offense. So that would be that would be my first answer. Yeah. Um, Javante Barnes, I mean, he's at least going to get a chance to be that type of player for OU this year. The thing is, Eric Gray got a chance to be that guy too. I mean, Eric Gray does – have a very explosive element of his game to him. I know that we didn't see it a lot last year, but the hope is just that, that we'll see it more this year. But Javante Barnes has that as well. And I think you've got two wide receivers um, that you're looking at. Jaleel Farouk got to be there and Marvin Mims. So I think any one of those four are pretty good. Um, but I'll, I'll go ahead and say Javante Barnes is your explosive player uh, that we're talking about this year. Will he be thought of as one of the eight best in college football? That's going to be yeah, a pretty it's a, tough that's ask. A stretch. At some point in his career, will he be? Yes, I adamantly think that that's going to be the case at some point in his career. Maybe by year two. I also, 
I also think Gavin Sawchuk might factor into the picture a little bit more than people anticipate. And I know my thing with him has always been I think he needs a year. And I do think that's the case. But I'm not completely discounting him right off the bat in 2022 because I do think he's special. And I do think with those two, you have the makings of what could be an elite running back tandem two, three years down the road. He's going to have to have a monster uh, training camp if he's thought to be in consideration. Don't you, just because they've got – it feels like they have a lot of depth right now at running back, and you know you feel a certain way on wh- what you might end up doing at that position going into the season. Not that Gavin Salchuk doesn't stand a chance, but I just think he's going to have to have a really good training camp before the season starts to yeah, which would you, and I, I think Salchuk's – He's kind of one of those guys that probably takes off towards the second half of the season uh, if you start to see him make some waves. But uh, I I do think he'll carve out something of a role in 2022, especially if Marcus Major continues to scuffle. Yeah. All right. Hey, appreciate all of the text, all the interaction. We covered a lot of ground when it comes to recruiting. But the main point today is quit freaking out about Texas. You've all seen this before. Come on. And if you continue to freak out about UT, you're going to be standing there in the Cotton Bowl after Texas just got its third loss in the, the second weekend of October, and you're going to say, dang, I fell for it again. Really? I fell for it again? I always fall for it. Don't fall for it. They're the same program. It ain't changing anytime soon. The Rush is coming up next. Keep it locked on the ref. We're the homeless Sooner fans.